gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us at what we believe to be Drag Racing's Water Cooler. We're here to talk a little bit of drag racing. I hope you'll join us. As always, please, I encourage you, beg of you, smash that share button, smash that like button. Make sure that you have notifications turned on so that every time we go live, you get a notification. You get a little ding, a little, a little something in your life uh, to uh, join us and talk about drag racing. We have an incredible incredible show lineup for you today here in about 15 minutes we're going to be joined by nhra top fuel superstar leah pruitt we will be uh, breaking down and and just riffing a little bit on her appearance alongside fiance tony stewart on the cover of drag illustrated's 169th issue our special edition the state of drag special issue that we put out every year that is kind of our prospectus piece it's our opportunity to take the temperature of the sport of drag racing so to speak let people know what we think's hot, what's not, what's going well, what maybe needs a little, uh, little love, a little has a little room for improvement. Probably my favorite issue that we do all year. Of course, I'm joined as always by my main man, Murder Tundra, and also the one and only Mike Carpenter, longtime Drag Illustrated COO and Art and Design Production uh, Coordinator. I think that's a pretty long title. We may need to work on that in the future. But I'm going to go ahead and bring these guys onto the show and uh, get this bad boy started. What's going on, guys? Not much, man. Mike, uh, I don't know why you're muted, but it's showing you as muted here, big dog. How's that? Ah, there we go. I got all three of and look at this. Almost ESPN level. All of our heads are about the same size. Right? Yeah, let's uh, uh, adjust gonna, it right there. There we go. Perfectly. I'm centered. gonna tell you, um, I will say little uh little little insider information. You guys need to get low back chairs. First thing they'll kick you, they'll kick you out of the studio at ESPN. If you roll up on show with these high back chairs, they're like, bro. We, we want to see that backdrop. We want to see what's going on behind you. They probably don't sit in their chairs as long as we do, though. No, that's yeah. true. That's true. You <laughs> yeah, have to have I mean, a separate dude, chair for live interviews like yeah. I have. Think how much time I spend. Like, we were just talking with Joe about that. The Wizard of Oz, right? Always just double-clicking away over here. Double-clicking away. You don't let me much. It's weird, Wes. You your, don't, mom's, you, yeah. your mom's in the comments saying how handsome that me and Mike are. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I sure love when my my, my mom Thanks, dives Tony. into the comments to, to, oh my goodness. All right, well, I'm going to do my own due diligence here real quick and uh, share this thing across our social media platforms. Again, I encourage you guys to do the same. We appreciate it so much. And we actually feel, and this is, we can uh, riff on this a little bit with Mike and, and Murder T here, but we feel like it's not only a privilege and an honor and, and all these things. It's fun to talk drag racing all the time. It's it's fun to dissect these things. It's fun to dive into these topics. But correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, Murder Tundra, it also feels like something of a responsibility, a duty. Do you do you agree with that, that these things, you guys are both big-time stick-and-ball sports fans. Mike, I know you're a big-time uh, Carolina Panthers fan, Charlotte <laughs> Hornets fan. T, obviously, you're the world's biggest Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, I don't know that you care for anything else beyond that. But yeah. I'm just curious, like, how much of a role do you think those talking head programs on ESPN, Fox Sports, how, how much of a role do you think that they have played in elevating those sports, you know, football, baseball, basketball, and everything in between? Tons. I mean, I, I mean, that's everybody wants their fix, right? And you're going to get your fix on Sunday. I mean, you have Monday Night Football, if we're talking about football, you know, but everybody, they want to follow it, you know, besides that, especially I think with the uh, addition of fantasy football, 
you know, it made fans not just root for their own team. They were, they were actually rooting for, for multiple teams or games or players actually, you know, so they're, they're wanting all that information. They, they, in, in today's day and age, everybody wants information all the time. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a lot in West, and I think you mentioned it on your show. It's how they fill the time. I mean, games are maybe a couple of, a couple of games at night or uh, on Sunday, how else do these networks uh, attract viewers? It's something that drag racing is missing. Even NASCAR or other uh, forms of motorsports have it. You know, they have the, the pre-show, the post-show, the uh, analysis, even uh, flipping around like the uh, you've got the mother network like NBC or Fox. And then you've got, you know, Fox Sports 1 or NBC Sports Network that has like the, the lead up show. I mean, it's uh, it's a key component. So. Uh, maybe we're trying to replicate that here online. There's even a lot of AM stations, like if you're flipping through as you're driving, that have a lot of uh, a lot of NASCAR talk on it. I've noticed. I think, I mean, to your guys' points, I think that that's well said because this is a product of the 24-hour news cycle, right? Like it used to not be like that. These days, I mean, the news used to be on. I mean, television channels, stations weren't on all the time right? They were only on for, for moments of time, sets of hours. Now that every TV station, every channel runs content 24 hours a day, you've got to find a way to fill that stuff up. And if they only play football games on Sunday, one on Thursday and one on Monday, I mean, you've got to find a way to fill that other time. And that's why all these talking head shows have become so uh, predominant in, in mainstream sports. And I really, I honestly feel like this is a huge responsibility. It's tons of fun. We love it. It's a great way to create content, connect with our our audience and engage people, our brothers and sisters in arms here in the drag racing world. But it's also like quite literally a serious responsibility. Somebody has to do this stuff. Somebody has to be the ones that are trying to keep the conversation going. Because like you said, uh, Murder T, you get your fix on Sunday or whatever, Sunday afternoon, Monday night, watch the game with some buddies. But Who's going to keep that fix? Who's going to, I hate to say this is a little bit of a rough around the edges reference, but who's going to keep that needle in your arm through the week? All right. Yeah. It's and it takes, fun, uh, it takes participation too from the athletes that are playing or the other uh, drivers. And that's something, you know, that we talk about that we need more of in drag racing as well. I think we've seen a, the tide turn a little bit though. You see a lot more participation. I was just on uh w wfo radio with joe costello he had a whole host of people matt smith matt hagan and you know they're eager to jump on there and talk about their win last weekend and it's not oh man i'm too busy i'm trying to win a motor or whatever they know that, that this is part of the deal and the benefit of it so i think it's uh just continuing to forge forward with it and uh we're seeing the tide turn and that's great because you always want to see the highlights you know i mean you'll watch you watch two days of highlights after your, your team wins, you know, your, your driver wins, you know, uh, you want to see that stuff the next day. Well, Hey, we, uh, if you, your team doesn't win all the time, like the Kansas city chiefs, you kind of not win at all. You want to just move on. <laughs> yeah. You just want to move on. I remember those days like five or six years ago when our team won everything and yeah. I couldn't get enough. And now I'm just like turning it off. Early. I've got a life hack for you guys. Um, you just jump teams. Like you just change teams. 
It's really yeah. cool. I figured this out <laughs> relatively recently, but you just cheer for whatever team's doing well, and it it makes that whole situation. It's less painful over the course of time. I my hair stopped uh, turning gray so rapidly. I just cheer for whatever team's winning. It's kind of fun. Like <laughs> I'm really. It meant a lot to me last night, considering how long I've followed the Milwaukee Bucks and how much that franchise means to me personally. <laughs> to see oh, them, oh, to see them, go. to see here them go, win a title last night. Oh, it! I was in tears. Oh, I was sobbing yeah. uh, in tears. I've been a big Giannis fan for mm -hmm. a long time. I knew he was special. Uh, it's just it means a lot, man. It means a lot for the city of Mil, uh, the state of Milwaukee. You are the you are a true city, Wes is, fan. I yeah, mean, Wes's true. closet looks like a, a rainbow. He's got it, it organized by colors. Here's my heat red. Here's my he's Lakers just, yellow. Now we've got Mavericks blue in this section. I'm a Mavericks fan. Yeah, I guess we're going to get Bucks green next. So, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. it's oh, been yeah. He's jumped teams enough where he's came back to the team that he's jumped from before. <laughs> you know? That's true. Yeah, It's happened yeah. twice, actually. Yeah. It's happened twice. And, uh, hey, look, man, I uh, I own it. I don't, I don't really make any bones about it. I'm trying to enjoy watching sports. I like watching all teams, but I do appreciate you, you guys. Know what you, are, you know what that's like? That's, that's like good. jumping around power adders, right? That's oh, like now that like you've made that reference, now that or that to comparison, to pro charger, just you know whatever's out front. But you got some people that just man, they're diehard blower guys or nitrous guys or like mountain motor pro stock guys, right? It's like, oh man, it's so that's true. all they want to race. That's all they it's understand. So you got guys that'll true. that'll jump around. So you know, I saw we'll a comment last night to to parlay this into some drag racing talk. I actually was having a conversation uh, back and forth with Brandon Snyder, NHRA Pro Mod star. Uh, I actually had gotten an email from his mom, Mimi Snyder. She'd emailed me. Uh, I can't even remember what we were talking about. But anyways, I was going back and forth with Brandon and he said that he would quit racing before he ran a car that didn't have a blower belt on it. Like he would yeah. rather quit racing than not run a blown Pro Mod. And I just, I personally love that. Like I know that we were kind of going down the path of bouncing around or whatever, but I love that kind of taking ownership of something. It's always cool when you see drivers that can bounce around, right? Drivers or, or excuse me, tuners specifically. Ricky Smith comes to mind. Stevie Jackson comes to mind. These guys that have had success with a variety of different combinations. But man, it's uh, it's a really, really cool deal when you see a guy kind of stake you know, their claim to this combination, this is what they're going to do, and this is what they're always going to do. So I get I a kick out of it. I think that's old school. I think that's the way it was. That's the way it started. So, yeah, don't get me on that path, man, because I'm I'm oh, definitely yeah. old school. I think the old school uh, sports fan sticks to one, uh, one team, you know, whereas like the modern sports fan maybe bounces around. So there, there, are, there are some uh, corollaries between the stick and ball deal and I think so. And, and to kind of circle back around to what we were talking about, about talking heads in the sport, I really have enjoyed last night. I was, uh, participated in two different live shows, one, uh, on the drag illustrated Facebook page, uh, what we kind of are bringing in as a new programming for drag illustrated cocktails with the Caruso's great time chatting with Mark and Camry Caruso. I per appreciate genuinely their willingness to put themselves out there, do it consistently every Tuesday night, you know, arrange interviews, all the things that they do, bring people on to talk about racing. I followed that up with like a 
short stint on Monday Morning Racer and Sam Smith's uh, show on Competition Plus, the CompetitionPlus.com Power Hour. And I've been on a slew of them recently, a bracket racing program a couple weeks ago. Mike, you did a great spot today. Kudos to you on Joe Costello's WFO radio. And I just want to see more and more and more of this stuff. And I, I mean, I don't, in some regards, I guess we could say like, Hey Wes, easy. We don't want to create a bunch of competition, but that's not at all how I see it. I feel like bringing attention to the sport, more people talking about this stuff more frequently we all force each other to improve, to try harder. It's just a, it's a very necessary thing. And I just hope we see more and more of it. I don't know what to do to, in, to, to encourage that growth though, because as we've talked many times, these things are difficult to do, to do them consistently, to do the work of lining up guests or coming up with talking points and live with the consequences, right? I think that's yeah. the big thing is that it's difficult to put yourself out there, let people know what you think you and feel. I've told this story before, and I'd love to get your guys' perspective on it. There's a very prominent drag racing journalist that I've been friends with, considered a friend for a long time. And he told me once, uh, he was talking about how, man, you guys always do these lists in Drag Illustrated. You do these lists and you do these really, really kind of pointed, opinionated editorials. And he said to me that he doesn't know how we get away with it because he's been in journalism for however long and he's gone to great lengths, was his words, uh, were his words, to make sure that he never put his opinion in print. And I found that interesting. I said, why? Like, in my opinion, that's all you should do. Like, all you should do is put your opinion in print. And he said to me that uh, he didn't want to burn bridges and he didn't want to upset the apple cart and he wants to be able to freely peruse any pit area and come and go and and not have ever you know ruffled any feathers or upset anyone and i thought to myself man i appreciate your stance but it's just completely backwards to what our sport needs right now and i'm just curious your take that's on what that. we've done for a I long time drag, drag illustrated yeah. though correct i mean like we, yeah. we've always said that you know we're not we're, we're not owned by anybody you know we're not we're not owned by us or by a certain sanctioning body and we can say what we want to say and I mean, I think yeah. that's a little bit of the difference. And, and we, we've, we've approached it different too over the years, you know, besides just the cars, you know, we've, we focused on the people. Yeah. It, I think that's another modern spin as well. I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that's how you did it. Um, and that's traditional journalism. But in today's world, I think that it's changed. People want opinion. They want to see that. And honestly, when we were doing, some of our real classic issues of the magazine, they were chock full of those lists or of opinions or of uh, stories that you couldn't get anywhere else. That's really how we made our name, I believe. I think if we now went to that sort of middle of the road approach, um, it, would be, it would be well received. I think people look to us for that story and maybe you were teeing this up as a segue to the, uh, the new issue of the magazine, but that's, uh, that's proof positive right there. Absolutely. I mean, that's my, I thought it was a good segue just to kind of build up to, to having Leah on the show and talking about this new issue of the magazine. But because I mean, in this day and age of fake news, right. And clickbait headlines, you, you don't want to go down that path. Right. And what we're talking about are two decidedly different things. I mean, there's a, there's, there's reporting the news in a fashion that serves your purpose. Right. And then there's, and there's reporting the news as I believe it should be reported with, you know, factual both sides represented as equally as possible. Uh, we found ourselves actually relatively recently in situations where 
if we don't feel like we can tell both sides of a story, we don't want to tell it. Like if I, you know, we've had this situation multiple times where we feel pressed, like, oh man, we probably should do a story on this. We should probably explore this a little bit. But if you can't get people representing all the different thoughts on the subject or the different sides of the story, it's hard to go down that road. And we've, we've avoided stories like that where we didn't feel we could do it correctly. We didn't feel we could do it fairly. But I'll tell you, there's a huge place in media today for opinion that people want to talk about this stuff. They want to go back and forth. I think people almost like opinion to disagree with it as much as they do to agree with it. Right. Everybody's I mean, looking for an argument. everybody's looking for an argument, something to debate. And matter of fact, look no further than our headline. You know, the, the title of this this episode of the West Buck show, can Leah Pruitt be drag racing's biggest star? And immediately everybody dives into the comments with yes, no, I'm on this team. Right. I'm on that team. This is what people want in this day and age. And we found that when we pose those type of questions or we throw something up there, that's a little bit, uh, I don't want to use the word explosive, but something that somebody could argue with, we take a stance, the engagement goes through the roof. So personally, I feel we're doing a tremendous service to the sport of drag racing. And it's something that I actually feel quite proud of. I hope you guys share that. I, I hope the rest of our team at Drag Illustrated shares it because th there was a time, I think, when Murder Tundra and I first started this show that we thought we were getting on the internet and just like BSing and it was fun. We were embracing technology, right? We were going, well, Facebook just got this new go live button. Let's click it. It's going to be fun. And, and we start talking about these different things. And over the course of time, I started to realize like, this is serious business. And I, and I'm not trying to, you know, be overtly dramatic, but someone has to do this. I mean, in my opinion, these drivers, whether it's Leah or uh, Joey Haas, I was just texting back and forth with Joey Haas. I'm going to do an interview with Alex Laughlin tomorrow, uh, to air next week. These guys, there needs to be a platform. There needs to be somewhere for these guys to go, I don't know, talk about themselves, talk about what they're doing, talk about their sponsors, talk about their plans for the future, discuss topics. This is a, a valuable thing. And again, I'm just glad that there's more and more of them popping up. And I know that we look to expand what we're doing here at Drag Illustrated very, very soon. So I'm uh, assuming we will be joined by Leah any minute. But I want to go back to that question before we dive into... DI 169. It has been said, Mike Murder Tundra, that Leah Pruitt has, if not, if she is not the most visible person in drag racing history with the commercials on a pizza box by way of Papa John's, Lego set, the Dodge commercials, everything she's done for Dodge and SRT, Hoonigan, the list goes on, uh, relationship with Speed Society. I mean, she's a highly visible person. What do you make of that, that question, can Leah Pruitt be drag racing's biggest star? Is she already? Uh, what, what's your take on the trajectory of this young lady as she, you know, carries on in her top fuel drag racing career? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, I, I definitely think that she can be. I think that's her goal. I think that's what she's working toward. And I think it shows every day. I don't think anyone uh, goes about the social media deal, um, as hard as she does. I mean, content every day. Uh, she exposes, you know, the good, the bad, all aspects of her day, what she's doing. Uh, people really get an insight to it. So she does a phenomenal job um, being consistent uh, with her social media and being consistently out there. Um, and those things, like you mentioned, the, the pizza box and stuff like that, that was a few years ago. And it's, it's hard to believe that it's been that long, but, uh, 
you know, that's something that happened. And it's like it it happens, and you're not ready for it. And we've almost we've moved we've moved far beyond that now. You know, it's been several years to where you forget all the stuff that she's done, the Lego deal or these commercials. I think she was actually on the like the national broadcast Dodge performance commercial or whatever for their right, Hellcat yeah. vehicles and everything. So she's done a lot in a short period of time and continues to push forward with that. Um, she also started, you know, uh, working her way up through the ranks. I'm always a big fan of that, you know, the career arc to where did just jump right into top fuel. There's nothing wrong with that, but worked her way up from nostalgia, funny cars, to pro mod to various different rides. So she's kind of ha- done it all has experience with that. And I, I think that gives her some, some street cred, it gives her experience of what it takes to work up through those ranks. Uh, and I think that's what we see every day from her. Yeah, no, no matter where she falls, she does a great job with all of her social media. <clears throat> just being in the public eye constantly. I mean, it's a lot of work, you know, just to just to update your, you know, your fans, of, you know, once a week or once a day is a lot of work. But to, to put yourself out there constantly and, uh, you know, to do a good job for all your sponsors. I mean, you know, I think we see a select handful of people that are doing that in the sport right now. And um, it seems like to me that that uh, they, they're reaping their rewards as well. So for me personally, I feel like we owe her a debt of gratitude. I don't care where you stand on any of these things. I know and, and a handful of people know the task that it is to be on at all times, to always be being your persona or being the character that you kind of play in real life. And for her to do it so consistently, be so willing to do all those interviews and shows up, show up to races early. I can't tell you guys the amount of times that, you know, Mike, you've experienced this as, as well, where we're reaching out to a racer and like, Hey, can we get a quote? They don't call you back for seven days, right? Hey, can we do an interview? And it's, it's, it's frustrating because it's like, Hey, this is, we have to do this. I understand that it's maybe not as fun as going 300 miles an hour. I understand it's not as fun as working on the car or hanging out, but it's part of the responsibility. And if more people embrace that, God only knows where our sport would be right now. But unfortunately, I mean, I definitely feel blessed and grateful that we have so many uh, stars and kind of stars waiting in the wings. But I do wish that more people would embrace this self-promotion strategy and be willing to put themselves out there because it really so does tools. make a difference. There's so many tools to use these days. You it's know. never been easier. And I mean, this, I mean we've been screaming it for years, but you can't wait on Fox. You can't wait on ESPN. Like it's fantastic when Discovery Channel rings your phone and has you as a guest on their show. That's fantastic. It's great when you get to participate in one of these deals. It's great if you get interviewed on the, the Fox show for NHRA, but you have to be willing to take matters into your own hands. And nowadays you've got an HD video camera in your phone that's connected to the world or in your hand via your iPhone. So uh, turn that camera around and uh, point it at yourself. And with, yeah. without further ado, I, I see LP herself has joined us in the, uh, the green room. So I think I'm going to go four, four wide here. We're going to do it like they do in, <laughs> in uh, North Carolina, quad box, and bring uh, Leah onto the show. Let me get rid of that banner down in the bottom corner there because I'd like to see Leah's face. Leah Pruitt, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're busy. you got got 100,000 things to do. You're on the Western Swing. You're doing all these different things traveling, but thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes to join us here on the West Buck Show. I'm joined, you know my, my partners in crime here, Mike Carpenter, Murder Tundra. Hi, yeah. How you doing, Leah? 
I'm doing awesome. I like what you said about the four wide. So it's four wide at the DI. Yeah, right. I mean, I didn't think about that. I just on the spot, you know, I'm quick like that. I'm witty, quick. Um, no, I'm just joking. But uh, hey, thank you so much, Leah, for joining us. And uh, again, I want to thank you and Tony Stewart uh, on behalf of myself and everybody at Drag Illustrated for being willing to the photo shoot with Rick Belden, our longtime photographer, and Mike out in North Carolina, going up on the top of the tower at ZMAX and all the running around. We appreciate it greatly. Uh, thanks for letting us tell your story and giving us the time to, to kind of shed a light on how this whole thing came to be and the crossover and everything else. So thank you. Well, absolutely. Well, of course, it did. It, the first communication I got was from Rick Belden, and he was, uh, of course, doing a shoot that I had done with him before. And when he said, hey, there's an opportunity for the cover of DI, and I was like, Wes and I are close. I, I hadn't heard anything about that. <laughs> And so the photo shoot happened beforehand. And of course, the interview with Nate um, that Tony and I had done, and he's here too. And I'll drag him on over here in a moment here, maybe uh, to say hello. But there really, sometimes there's a, there's a great time for media and other times it just happens. And I think that's what I love about DI the most is that you guys really pounce on opportunities and you know that this is a, a popular story or, or a popular topic you know, with Tony being involved in NHRA drag racing to some extent. And for me, I felt a little, I will say, I'll be honest, a little reserved about it because this hasn't been my most standout season um, on the track. And I feel like every time that there is a cover story or there is a proper publicity or press, it should go towards the ones that are currently winning on track. That being said, when you're not winning on track, that's when you're finding your true characteristics and you're building your character even more and you're in the trenches and no one's looking at you because it's not real pretty over there. That happens to be where I'm at in, my, in the racing particular field, specifically uh, this Western swing. But there is highlights in life and there are phenomenal things happening. And I think that, you know, Tony and I and what we're doing and his presence at the track is notable. And especially, oh my goodness, with the hundreds and thousands of questions around it, um, you guys really came to the front lines and said, all right, we're gonna ask um, and to give people some some answers. So I really appreciate that opportunity. Well, thank you. And I'll uh, kind of follow that up and say that a couple things. A, first and foremost, that wasn't lost on us at all, Leah. That was one of the things that we talked about is that we felt this was a story worth telling. That was the conversation we had. And above all else, we, we want to serve our readers. We feel that if we are good to them, if we serve our readers, we don't really have to worry about anything else. If our heart's in the right spot and we're doing it authentically, everything, let the chips fall where they may, right? But on top of that, we recognize you're highly visible. Tony is otherworldly visible. He's an icon in motorsports. He's a, he's, he's, kind of transcended into per, uh, pop culture. People know who he is that are outside of the racing world. So we looked at this as an opportunity, something that I scream at the NHRA to do in every sanction and series. There's a, there's a concept called like transferring an audience. And in my opinion, there was an opportunity here to maybe transfer some of Tony's audience to drag racing because, and that comes off a little self-serving, but for us, it wasn't necessarily about, oh, how many people can we get to buy a subscription to Drag Illustrated? Like anybody that knows anything about our business knows that 
subscriptions are not profitable. The, like, as much we love selling subscriptions, but it's expensive to send a fancy ass you know magazine out twelve times a year to people all around the world. So this wasn't about shining a light on Drag Illustrated, but all the other people that are featured in this in this issue. As someone who's spent my entire life at the racetrack, I know how much a little bit of validation can do for someone who, as you mentioned, is going through a struggle season or, or just kick the rods out of it. Man, no better way to make that person feel good than to see themselves on the pages of a magazine opposite Tony Stewart, opposite a NASCAR champion or opposite Leah Pruitt. It's a huge thing and a, a high tide lifts all boats. So for all the hundreds of other stories that are told in this 169th issue of the magazine, this is for them. It's for them as much as it is for us or for you guys we saw this as an opportunity to bring new attention, fresh, face, fresh faces, fresh eyeballs to the sport of drag racing. And uh, we knew that we're, I mean, just being honest and transparent, we knew there'd be some pushback. Like, this guy's never even drag raced. What are you doing? He doesn't belong on the cover. But the story was significant. And I don't mean to ramble, but Leah, to your point about having a little bit of a rough season, you can't, uh, you can't enjoy a good day if you haven't had a bad one. And I encourage you to recognize the season you're in and that this is part of the story, right? Like if we had to go film the, the Leah movie and it was all win lights and world records, the movie would suck. It would be a terrible movie. So you need this moment. It's part of the hero's journey, right? You need this moment where you are faced with adversity and what happens next will be what the story is ultimately about. But don't, uh, don't make light of this moment because you're shining in it despite those struggles and uh, we we appreciate it, man. We're so, we're big fans. I think you know this. Well, thank you. And I, you know, the the audience is important to me. You guys, the industry is important to me. And so, when coming on to this feature and with and with the cover, and knowing kind of where we were at in the season, that's another that's another statement that I would like to share with other drivers or other teams if they are superstitious like I am, or if they do care about what the industry thinks. It's a new example of you still have to do what you have to do. You still have to grind. You still have to make um, the most opportunities out of everything that's given you because you don't know when they when they won't be there. For instance, when you guys were sharing about um, our new Legos that we have with Dodge, and it would be phenomenal to have a built Lego set in the winner's circle with the top fuel car, but that just happens to not be the situation that we are right now. But that doesn't mean that you stop promoting or you stop doing your job. Everything is in this, it's, it's in a fluid motion. And one thing that I've really been big on this year, and it actually has come from Tony and uh, in his derivatives, is the difference between uh, success to significance. And we all strive for success and whatever those mile markers may be. But really, at the end of the day, what significance is it? So if you change your mentality into a significant mindset, the success is actually the byproduct of it. And that's what we're seeing here. You know, we talked about SRX within the article. And what the question that Nate had asked was, Leo, you know, what would you do similar or what thoughts would you have similar to SRX within drag racing? And I hadn't really given it any thought, given it thought since then. But more so what SRX created, um, the hype and the sustained hype and the sustained 1.3, 1.4 million viewership on CBS really at battle with NASCAR. I think everyone except for Pocono, what showed that people do care about uh, other racers being in different sports. And so, you know, Ray Abraham, he's 
he wants straight line racers in SRX. I recommended Antron and Caps and Cruise. And like, that's what we need is the proper support for everyone else in all the other series. And what I've seen with Tony, I mean, when he helped start the series and then was racing in it and winning two races. And then I got to see, because I wasn't around in the NASCAR days, I got to see Tony in true championship form of like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a full world championship, and there's someone sitting here that was with him during that win. I was, of course, racing in Norwalk, um, or the weekend after when he had won. But that excitement—it doesn't matter whether you're retired or not, or you won three world championships, or you're like me and you get shut off at the line at Denver at your sponsors nationals. You still want to win, and you are still that person. And I think that's what everybody can relate to when uh, when we do these types of articles. And for those that gave the pushback of oh, well, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything in drag racing. Yeah. Read the article. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. and what's Mike, the one thing, what's the one thing as a, as a champion championship driver that he is, that he's taught you mentally and maybe something you've taught him mentally. I would say um, there have been a couple situations of one, not taking things so personal on a media side, which I didn't think I did too much, but there was one particular time that I felt like I was completely being attacked unjustly. And so if you think that, you know, something's completely wrong and he's like, Leah, I've been there, I've done that. It's not worth the fight. The people know the truth. Your team knows the truth. What are, you know, and, and so that took, that was about a two day ordeal after. <laughs> and I won't go into the details because it's irrelevant. <laughs> I learned uh, <laughs> on his side of things was, you know, I'll, I'd have to drag him in here because we somebody stop by to drop off some keys. But I think I think what he's learned on his side is that the fun factor can be found everywhere. And regardless of the discipline of the sport, that we both agree that people is people are <laughs> absolutely everything. It's not the number of horsepower. It's 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 the building, the structure of the team, and the morale. And that's something that we continue to construct together and reiterate to each other. And that was not, and that's what, that's what we're living through right now. So speaking of, oh, go ahead. oh, come on. Yes. Oh, there's a <laughs> oh. face head right there. <laughs> hey, hey, thank you so much. What's up, buddy? Hey, Tony, I, while we've got you two seconds, I just want to say thanks we to you and Leah for participating. We, uh, we take, great pride in in promoting the sport of drag racing we of course we started drag illustrated to have a business to make money to make a living in the sport we love but we feel our mission is to grow and build the sport of drag racing by celebrating the men and women who do it and to have the opportunity to tell that story and it, quite honestly steal some of your spotlight to shine a light on other racers in the sport of drag racing as a whole we appreciate the hell out of it, man. Thank you uh, a bunch. You're making way too much of it. All I get to do is carry your helmet bag and stuff around. So. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, and while we have you, real quick, because there was one line, and this, and we won't keep you, but there was one line in that article that I was so proud of. Nate Van Wagen, our editor-in-chief at Drag Illustrated that interviewed you guys, uh, I hired that young man when he was 18 years old. He, uh, he hadn't even turned 18 years old, and he's worked for me for quite a while. Uh, I, I love him like my own son, and I was so proud of how he carried himself during that situation. And one of the questions he asked you at the end, Tony, was speaking to getting your top fuel license. 
And I read this and I got chills. And I would like to maybe bring that out of you here today. It was an incredible thing. You mentioned that one of the first calls you got after you made a, a, a lap in the top fuel car was from Don Perdome. This Don the Snake Perdome. This guy is a legend. Uh, he's actually joined us right here on this show uh, in the past. A guy we all look up to, he says to you, did you get your license? Or he actually said it way cooler than that because he may be the coolest person alive. But anyways, he says to you, did you get your license, Tony? And uh, you said no. And you had an incredible, incredible reason for doing that. And I was wondering if you would share that with us here today, um, the respect level you have for other racers that are pursuing this dream. Why didn't you get your top fuel license yet, Tony? Well, I was, I've been in the living room here literally 15 feet away and then somebody came and knocked on the door so i missed part of this but i heard you talking before lee actually got on about how much you guys respect how she came up through the sport and that there's people that could just get their top fuel license and could go top fuel racing in nhra or funny car or whatever and when don asked me if i got my license and i told him right he knew what day we were going and i i told him i would call him after it was over and uh you know we ran the two days at vegas and then after it was actually after the the charlotte test at, that i ran and then he goes did you get your license and i said no and he asked me why he goes it he goes it'd be cool to, to have your license i said yeah I, I think it'd be pretty cool to have a license too but to me to see and be at the events over the last year and a half you know i haven't i don't think i've missed an event have i yet completely I no not i've, been, I've at least been at race day for every event since indy one last year and uh to me, the amount of respect I have for everybody and knowing, seeing these kid and kids and junior dragsters and, and seeing the sportsman drivers and and every level going up until you get to top fuel and funny car and pro stock and pro stock bike and everything. It's, uh, I think, to just get a license to have a license, I feel like is a, I, I'll just call it the way I see it. I think it's a dick move. It's, um, to me, it's, these people have worked their entire life to even get an opportunity to do a test in a top fuel car. And, and I, I had the opportunity because of my relationship with Don Schumacher and my relationship with Leah. And, you know, I, I didn't just do a cold turkey. I went to Frank Holly's for four days, did two different classes with him uh, before we even considered it. But um, to me, it's just disrespectful, I feel like, to go and just get a license to have a license when uh, you don't even have a car to drive right Not now a plan. I, yeah and, and there wasn't a plan none of this was planned it, holly's the first time i went to holly's was actually planned and it was just to understand and see what leah goes through and to try to understand it so when when i am in the trailer and i'm listening to her and the crew chiefs talking and the car chief then i could get a better understanding of what they were talking about but to to just get a license to get a license i feel like it's disrespectful and i i feel like it it I want the people that are in the industry to know that I respect the industry and I respect, I know all the steps I had to go through to, to get to the NASCAR level and to get to the IndyCar level and to get to where I ran my first world about all sprint car race. And it's tough. All those stages are tough and you've got to prove yourself. Every time you go up another step in the ladder, you got to prove yourself all over again to go to the next step. So just to go do a test and be able to make six runs and turn in my slips and pay $250 to get a license, is a dick move in my eyes. So I've uh, had goosebumps. goosebumps yeah. I've had goosebumps <laughs> yeah. since you started talking, and I still have them right now. And just 
I have so much respect for you. I don't know you from Adam. We met uh, briefly at uh, our race in Orlando earlier this year. Shout out SeaTech World Door Slammer Nationals presented by Jags, the biggest door slammer race in the world. But we spoke briefly. But when I read that on the pages of the magazine, or it was actually in a proof before we went to press, I thought, I don't know how anybody couldn't run up and hug this guy like that, that that amount of respect you're showing for our competitors, because I'll, I'll speak on behalf of like the drag racing community. This is a group of people who have felt like the redheaded stepchild in motorsports for a long time, right? We don't get drag racers, people like Leah that, that we, we look up to and we celebrate. I don't feel they get the respect they deserve from the mainstream media, mainstream motorsports media. I get frustrated every time I watch Sports Center and I don't see a highlight from a drag racer. I, it breaks my heart. And to hear someone like you as accomplished as you are in the status you maintain in the motorsports industry, be so respectful and, and, sh and, and give my people some credit by God. Right. It, it means the world to me. So thank you uh, very much for that. And again, I, I know you guys got to, lots to, lots to do, but it's, it means a lot for you to take this time and, and spend it with us. So thank you very much. And I got to ask the cover turned out badass, right? It looked killer. We well, love she's, she's on the cover. That's why. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you look good, bro. I thought, man, homeboy looks yeah. good. This turned out killer. He's got the, the scruff. He's got the smoke look. <laughs> we got sunglasses. This is exactly what we're going for. I mean, it was right before Q1 on Friday. And we were. Yeah, it was. And we're trying to figure out my Dodge and Mo, like, or Mopar against Ford Performance. And he only has his shirt. And I have, I, and they're like, well, Leah's got way more branding, competitive branding against Tony's. I'm like, yeah, but his is singular and it stands out. And, <laughs> and there were other photographers trying to jump in on the photo shoot. And there's, and I'm getting texts from Mike that Tony's not liking <laughs> these other photographers up here. Tony, I can yeah. tell Tony doesn't like this. Yeah, that, that was definitely a high stress situation, but they, they nailed it. Rick nailed it. Uh, yeah, when it was it was put together. It was your guys' idea. Rick came up and he and he led it. And then all of a sudden, we have track photographers following us up there. There's 30 people up there, and no one's pushing nobody out of the way. And and we're like, this is actually it ended up on Instagram. I don't know if you guys saw it. it ended up on Instagram that day. Oh, oh really? A very similar shot, but you know, we untagged and just out of respect because they thought that this was cool. All the rats were trying to steal the cheese up there. <laughs> they yeah. don't want to mess. Well, they don't want to mess with that. Yeah, what? that kind of speaks back to what Tony was saying too about the respect. What was cool was that Tony was saying, "Hey, we're trying to you know make sure this is exclusive for you guys. You know, you worked hard to to try to make this happen and make this color happen, and we want it. We want to do this with you guys, not with everyone else that's up here." So that actually was the start of us sort of revealing Tony's respect for the sport and what we were doing. So again, that was that was super cool. It was super stressful. I watched the video that you guys put out, and I think it had. PTSD from that moment and all the everything that was going on and the stress that was happening. And then Rick, who is just obviously one of the best photographers, you know, alive. He's telling me, man, this background, this lighting is horrible. I don't think I'm going to be able to do anything with this. So I'm going, oh, my gosh, how are we going to pull this off? But of course, a cloud came right behind you guys. And that ended up being the cover shot. And Rick says, if we hadn't got that cloud covered, We'd have been toast. So, you know, I guess it was meant to be. So, yeah, it was awesome. Appreciate you guys taking the time to do that and um, and working with us on this project. And I would I'd like to say, even though he's sitting right here, but a testament to like Tony just going after what he wanted to do and to feel and be so authentic in it. It's already started. Just at least you know small conversations. For instance, Charlotte when he tested, 
uh, Monday afternoon, Kyle Larson came by. He just come by to say hey and wave and check out the car, right? He sat in the car. He was on the line. He was standing in the starter box so that the car would pass him multiple questions. And I think Tony's involvement in drag racing really gives us like an extra notch of, okay, if he thinks that not only is it cool, but difficult to do and very challenging and not like anything else, it opens the eyes for other industry race professionals to go, well, I, you know, I'm a badass over here, but maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I could, maybe it is time for me to try something new or different or see. So one of the biggest feedbacks that he had gotten um, when people everywhere he would go is, well, what was it like? And they would even, they wouldn't even do it, but they knew that he could do it. And it just, it's a good conversation starter and eye opener to other, to other disciplines that I don't think yeah. that we have had before as an industry. It's I actually so saw important. that Leon, when we were, when we were at Charlotte, uh, I kind of felt that by Tony being there and sort of being present and knowing that he was there, I saw Kyle Bush there. He's there with his son. Um, Joey Logano, I think uh, Eric Almarola was there, maybe one of his crew chiefs or, or a crew member. Several people, you, you get those guys at Charlotte, obviously because of its proximity to you know the, the NASCAR headquarters of the world, but um, they seemed more engaged. They were more involved. They were closer to the starting line. They seemed more interested rather than just like showing up for the spectacle. Um, and so, yeah, that speaks to your point of Tony sort of leading the way for that. And it's, it speaks to the point of the cars are not the stars, right? And, I, and one of the most important things I think any of us can do when we go to the drag races, like if I say this every time that I bring someone new out to the racetrack, how make sure we got to introduce them to somebody because you got to get them to have a little skin in the game. Because if they go, the cars, I've always said, the cars and the header flames and 300 miles an hour, blah, 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 that will bring you out. Smoke, it's great, right? It's fantastic. It, but what will bring you back to the races time and time and time and time again is some sort of emotional connection with another human being. We can't have a relationship with a car. It's physically impossible, right? So it's so important to make sure when you bring a new fan out that they fall in love with somebody, they learn about somebody, they think somebody's a prick, you know, whatever, get them invested in it somehow, some way, so that they can come back and cheer for that person. And that's exactly what Mike, that's, that's what you're describing. Tony's there, yeah. so they all of a sudden, these other NASCAR guys have a little skin in the game. They know somebody yeah, that's connected. They've got a dog in the, in the hunt, so to speak, and it changed everything. So, and to your point, Leah, and this may be something that we need to circle back if we can get uh, Tony to give us another interview. We'll have to call some media people and send out like 7,000 emails. But um, <laughs> uh, we should, the NHRA should be beating you up. And I actually have been proud of them, in fairness, in exercising some restraint. I was worried that the moment you showed up at the racetrack that they would wear you out, that, that you would be worn out. We didn't give them a choice. Yeah, <laughs> well, good, good for you. Good yeah. for you. But I'm curious, we should do a story like at some point, Mike Murder Tundra, I think that it would be cool to let someone like Tony that has so much credibility and has done Indi done all these different things. Talk about the nuances and the intricacies of drag racing to give someone, you know, people like Leah and, and junior dragster racers and drag racers of all type a little bit of a, a shot in the arm that, hey, this isn't as easy as standing on the gas and steering straight. Listen, that is the one thing that that's why guys like Joey and Ryan Newman and Larson came to Charlotte. I mean, they they part of it is you got to remember, we're still kind of in COVID fallout, yes. so to speak, to where they're not 
they're typically at the racetrack Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now all of a sudden they didn't have to be at the races till Sunday. So now they got Friday. I had Booger Ravitch, who was Eric's, Eric Amarola's crew chief. He came Friday night to hang out. Um, you've got all these guys that now for the first time or on a seldom deal have had the opportunity to go. So they are all in. If you're involved in any form of motorsports and there's something close that you can go to that's unique and different, you're going to go. Every one of these guys, it didn't matter whether it was drag racing, if they had had Indy cars, uh, you know, at the Oval that weekend, we would all have been over there as well. That's just the way the motorsports industry is. But the one thing that I feel like, to your point and what you were saying, I never knew till I went to go down to Holly's the first time how much went into it from the driver's standpoint. I mean, I've driven her car 10 times now, and I think I've finally done, what, five or six of the warm-ups correctly Correctly. and consecutively the first four times that i got in the car i couldn't even do the warm-up the same every time i'm and and the crew chiefs are laughing about it i'm like i can't even do the warm-up the same you're going to trust me to drive this thing let alone be up on the stands doing the warm-up so it's just there's way more to it that the fans don't know all the timing and the sequence and everything that goes into it it's all the details and and i think i said it in the interview one of the best quotes actually came from her as far as talking about the differences of what somebody thought the difference between NASCAR and NHRA was. And she said it best, what happens in three and a half hours at a NASCAR race, they do in three and a half seconds. And it's, and it's accurate. I mean, all the stuff that you do from the time that you get into the car to the time you turn off at the end, of, at the top end, there are a million things that you have to do. And it, and even from my perspective, before I went down to Frank's, I thought, Okay, they fired up the crew chiefs up there setting the idle and tuning this and tur- tuning the fuel and blah, blah, blah. Does the burnout, put it in reverse, you back up, put it back and forward. They adjust on it again. You wait for the lights, you go down, you throw the chutes, turn the fuel off, shut the ignition off, turn off. Way <laughs> more steps in <laughs> Right. And my little small brain can't remember half the stuff I'm supposed to do, let alone do it the same every time. And that's really important in this industry. And that's why Leah is so good at it. She's so detail oriented, does not miss the little details. And uh, so that's why I always say when people ask about the two of us, I'm like, well, she's the detail person. She's the responsible adult in the family here. So uh, <laughs> I'm the 14 year old kid that's playing video games on my phone and watching Discovery Channel and stuff right now. <laughs> no, I, it's so, thank you for that because it's so, it's insight that's so valuable and needs to be like shouted from rooftops that. I hear that all the time and it's one of our sports big struggles especially when it comes to television coverage like if we flip on X Games and see I'm going to butcher Travis Pastrana I don't even know who's an X game person right now if if we watch him on TV do a backflip on a dirt bike that shit looks hard like it doesn't look like some everybody can do that right but if you flip on a drag race it's easy to believe from afar anybody can jump in one of these cars and hit the gas and drive in a straight line so it's very, very important for us from a promotional standpoint to have people such as yourself lend that credibility and, and acknowledge that this is a, a really difficult deal, especially, I've said this before, I think maybe anybody can drag race, but it takes special people to do it really well, yes. right? I mean, to do it really well and to do it consistently uh, is a, a real skill. And I'm curious, just from a mental aspect, um, like this situation this past weekend in, in Denver, Leah, the thing that I'm always impressed with, especially young women such as yourself, uh, young people in general, you get up there, something's going wrong. H- had they been able to fix that, right, an oil issue or whatever, 
you would have likely went up there and not missed a beat. And that mental toughness and that mental strength is something that is largely slept on by the fan base that, I mean, I can't count the number of times you see a scramble on the starting line, right? There's something's wrong, wheel, whatever. Everybody's flying around trying to fix something or get the car to start or whatever, or, oh, we got, we were late getting up here or they did a short burnout and now we're, now we're rushed. Your ability to keep it all together in those moments and all of these pro level drivers, it's a really a sight to behold if you have a true appreciation for this. Well, I appreciate that. And I think it comes down to the number of years of experience that aren't televised and aren't, aren't really shown. I mean, I will say that Denver is still my favorite track, uh, but we did have mile high frustrations. I mean, Q1, I, by the heim on the top of my throttle broke and my pedal went to the ground. The throttle stop was still there on the injector, but as soon as I hit the throttle and it went straight to the stop and, and, I, and I shut it off. So we lost Q1. Very frustrating mechanical uh, issue for sure. And then to be in that second round against a competitor that watching him just idle off of the line, knowing that we did have, we at that point had a running race car running well, and then an opportunity from the semis into the finals that your premier sponsors race for Dodge, very heartbreaking. But I think what I like to go back to though is truly, and this is an epitome of having a large scale team and one of the winningest teams with DSR, is you take Matt Hagen in 2011, won a world championship. He failed to qualify for the countdown of that next year. Antron Brown has been 42 races winless. Took Ron Caps 20 years to win a world championship. The highs and lows of this sport are so deep, and it, but they're so true that if you just in that moment, you know, if I got out of my car because I was leaking oil on that second round and, and totally in a bit, it, it, not what you want, and throw your helmet, throw a whip basement or whatever it may be, that's not what we are. We are a class act team with class act class act partners and expected to present in that way because that's the mentality we have. I knew that, yeah, this was an issue that could have easily been fixed and not and not happen, but that we could rebound. And so what you see is a true reflection of confidence on the inside without even thinking about it. I got the same type of report back from friends and family and my mom and things like that. And it didn't, now back in the trailer might've been a different story. <laughs> Yeah, but, behind closed doors. Yeah. But I, yeah, I 100% respect what you're saying. And it's funny because uh, I don't mean to talk uh, out of turn here, but I was actually having a conversation with Matt Ambrosiak from Dodge yesterday uh, from JRT Agency. And he mentioned that how well, like, how well you handled that moment and how, like, you still showed up for them, like, as a brand and as an ambassador for Dodge, that you still showed up. Like it had been very easy to go bury your head in pillows, right? Or head to the hotel. I've seen drivers do that. That happens, right? You have a rough day. I'm out of here. Uh, but to hold up and, and show up for them like you did, I mean, it meant a lot to them. It really did. So kudos to you. And, and closing question, because I'm sure you guys want to get out of here. But I'm curious, the energy, I love Bandemir Speedway. It's my favorite racetrack in the world. The Bandemirs are incredible human beings. Great. What they've done for our sport cannot be overstated. Did you, it, the energy in Bandemir and that fanfare, the crowd, and I'm assuming you were there, right, Tony? Yeah, I was there on okay. Sunday. 
did that surprise you, that type of atmosphere? Like, did that, like, to see that kind of energy and enthusiasm at a drag race? Because, I mean, I see that on TV from afar, and, like, my heart grows five sizes. Like, I'm just so proud of our sport at a facility like that, a market like that, with that type of fan turnout. Like, did that surprise you all at all, or were you impressed by that, or what was your takeaway just from the energy? I think from my side, I mean, obviously, I haven't been to a ton of drag races that have that were allowed 100% capacity. So to to see that as a good site, uh, but I, I've told Leah, I mean, the, the demeanor of fans from different series. I mean, when I go to sprint car races, it's different than going to NASCAR races. That's different than going to IndyCar races. But to see the fans and just watching the, the teams work on the cars after each round and then you know when they get a chance to watch the the warm-up it, it's cool to see the atmosphere there and to see the level of excitement that the fans have at the racetrack and it's you know for us we're used to the excitement being on the racetrack they're just as excited if not more excited about the stuff going on behind the scenes and off the track as they are when the cars actually get into the lanes and get a chance to run but that that facility and how and lee is preached and, and uh, really praised, you know, the speedway and, and to see it all built on the hill like that and the bleachers and the, the pits above that, the atmosphere there is incredible. So, uh, you know, I know they're building some houses across the street. If they, uh, if they try to screw up the racetrack, call it a day. So, yep. I'll go. Yeah, there's I'll, more houses I'll, there every time we go. We have, and we and have I'll go with you. For years. Yeah. As my dad would say, can of gas and a few Z. I will say one of the most impressive things for me this weekend, this past weekend, was the amount of turnout and stand-up for factory stock. When we were qualifying on Saturday night, I mean, I just finished qualifying in, in fuel and had another one to go, or in between. Sorry, they all kind of mumbled together. I looked up there, and it looked the exact same as for fuel. And then on Sunday when they showed up, so Tony didn't really get to see and experience a lot of, like, the extreme fanfare because of the mile away that this that our pits were factory to, to pro and running back and forth but the uh, what they showed up for and their enthusiasm for every single category was was great i mean it was the most i'd ever seen for factory and it just re re reiterated that it was my favorite track even though it gave me my biggest heartburn <laughs> it was it, it was a sight to behold and, and such a win for the sport of drag racing on so many levels just to see crowds like that converge uh, for for some guys to to go drag racing. It's it's a huge victory. But thank you guys seriously so much. I know we've we've run way over on time, but it, again, means the world to us. I'd love to do this again, Leah. You know, uh, uh, we got plenty of stuff to talk about. I'll be in touch. But uh, thank you guys all so much. And I look forward to seeing you guys at the drag strip very soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Stay out of trouble, guys. Holy crap, man. Leah Pruitt and Tony Stewart were just on the show with us for an hour. Yep. What's yeah, up, man? Cool, welcome. Right? Welcome to America. What's Love that first? response, man. Yeah. Man, that, I mean, that's that's more of that was sort of a live version of what we got in the interview. Right. The, the respect for racing, um, the uh, the mental game. That was a big thing. I went to Frank Hawley's in 2007 and, you know, fully prepared to drive the car and for that experience or whatever. But it was the classroom experience, the mental preparation that he puts you through or the, or the mindset that he tries to get you in. That was the, the big difference maker. I've told you guys this a bunch of times that if I could 
go there again, I would, would just want to take his his uh, classroom portion. Uh, we're going to go you know, do it. Like, the three is, of us is a, are is going bonus, down there. That we're going I down think that's to, what Tony to, was saying yeah, there, too, yeah. is that it's the mental. It's not that it doesn't take mental preparation to drive a stock car or an Indy car. It obviously does. And I'm always in awe of the physicality of those deals like that. You know, they'll win a race pull in the winter circle. And, yeah, my power steering went out on lap three. I've been driving this thing or they, you know, all the, all of the strength and the, and the, uh, the, the physical capacity it takes to do that. And drag racing obviously requires uh, physicality as well, but it's so mental. It's so much the repetition. It's so much of uh, being able to focus like in that situation that you said with Leah. Um, Have you ever gotten out and of so a- for him to appreciate that is, is very cool. Have you ever gotten out of a car after like a, you know, 300 mile trip or, or even between gas stations when you're traveling and you can hardly walk when you open the door, you know, cause you've been sitting yeah. down. Like how in the hell does Carl Edwards get out of a car and do a backflip? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm always crazy. thinking like, Oh, you better take, you better like stretch or, or run a couple laps oh, around I mean, the car before you do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to uh, tell you guys, like, I, I don't know that we can say enough to be honest about the credence that Tony can lend our sport. Right. I mean, I don't mean to yeah, I mean, I, go I think crazy that, I think, and beat this drum too much, but he's an right. icon in motorsports. And if we have people like him, because I think a lot of people in motorsports, a lot of race car drivers, athletes are enticed by a challenge. Right. And, and they they love the notion of something. Oh, you said I couldn't do this or oh, that looks extremely difficult. Sign me up. And I think drag racing needed some of that, because I wonder if there are some of these other guys like the Ken Blocks the Travis Pastrana, what's the dude that drives the drift Mustang that's sponsored by Muster or Monster Energy? Cool dude, wears a flat bill hat all the time. Uh, uh, starts with it. Vaughn yeah. Getten. Like, I wonder if sometimes we've not been able to like pique their curiosity because it doesn't look hard enough. They're, they're yeah. probably assuming yeah, that the, the challenge isn't significant enough to sure. entice them to try it. But then you have someone like Tony Stewart who's done it all saying like, hey man, this ain't as easy as it looks. Yeah, that needs to be a bumper sticker. Tony Stewart says drag racing is harder than for Tony to say that it means something. And that I swear to you, I saw that on Friday night after we had gotten done with the photo shoot with Tony and Leah. And I'm looking around, and there's Kyle Busch, there's Joey Logano, there's Ryan Newman. I was just looking at. I'm starting to see all these NASCAR guys, and you know, like I said, they're there usually, but they don't seem as engaged. They're more in like a fan capacity. And I think they were there to pick Tony's brain or to see more of what this crazy deal is that Tony's getting involved in. And he can translate to them what it feels like, like right. Leah has said uh, repeatedly, what's it like, what's it like? And so for Tony to translate what it's like to them, it speaks their language versus like, you know, me or, or some other drag, somebody that's only done drag racing to explain it to them. So and I we're biased, right? We're saying we're trying yeah. to sell it. So and he's not. Yeah. He mentioned that as well, that these guys are in motorsports and that's what motorsports guys do. Like guys right. and gals. Like if, and that's, you know, that's if, if we're not running here motorsport. and there's something going on over there, we're going to go watch that, you know, just because it's in motorsports. And, and if you ever, if you followed Tony at all um, over the years, like this guy, you know, he'll drive race anything. You know, he, I mean, he isn't, he, I, I, I was surprised they're sitting still right now. I mean, they're, they're on UTV. They're on boats. I mean, I mean, he's involved in motorsports all the time. I mean, it's pretty darn. And on cool. the business side of it too. I mean, yeah. he's got Stuart Haas, which is right on the road from here. Massive facility. So not only has he done the racing side of it, I think I think we get so drunk on 
the driving the car on just the racing part of it. We forget about all the other aspects of it, but now he's on to the business side of it. I mean, he won that SRX championship, but he's also the co-founder, co-owner with yeah. Ray Evernham. So that's a business venture too. And so he sees all these various aspects of it. I don't think there's anybody better to, to speak on drag racing to a wider audience than Tony. I'm curious too, like there was a, I had a little takeaway from that as well. When Tony said that he hadn't missed a race day yet, A, I thought, homeboy, you are setting the bar high. Like just, <laughs> right, yeah. just getting you <laughs> ready from fun. the married life. You're setting the bar <laughs> high, homeboy. But to that point, how significant is it that he, as an accomplished driver, clearly to JT's point, wants to race all the time. We were surprised that he took time for this interview. He's going to the races to watch as a spectator, to support. And I think that's a message that we need to more consistently send out in drag racing because Mike, uh, you know, with the situation your father's in right now, recovering from a, a very severe stroke, a legend of pro mod drag racing, I'm sure he's already told you how he likely has no interest in ever going to the racetrack again if he can't drive. And well, that, that was always his stance before this. I mean, you couldn't get the guy to a track for any reason but to drive a car. And we've had a lot of long talks recently, and it's been about me talking to him about the other aspects that are out there in drag racing. Like what that I, he could still go to the track or, and yeah, be involved. And, and he's, yeah, he's wrapping his head around that slowly. And now he'll even come to me. Hey, I was thinking about this. I could go do this, or maybe I'll, you know, I'm excited to do this part of it, but driver Charles Carpenter was having no part of that. I tell Maybe this as story, a crew chief, you could get him there, but then, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's, I, he's a willing spectator at this point. And that's, that's something that I do think that for whatever reason, and I drag racing so hardcore, right? I mean, admittedly, you're not like half in half out on drag racing. It's, it's, no. it's a lifestyle. It's a real passion, but it, it, it seems like being a racing fan or a fan of drag racing, it's treated like a, a four-letter word or a bad thing. People are embarrassed or or don't want to acknowledge that they're a fan of racing, right? Like well, because well, I think drag everybody is so participant driven. I think it, it is. That, that's what Tony was saying. He said it there as well. He was uh, surprised at how the fans were as entertained and engaged by what was going on in the pits as they were on the track. And we all know that and we experience that we know that from growing up around it but for him to say that it was it, it reminded me of that fact that what's missing on drag racing tv and what we try to tell in the magazine or or behind the scenes is what's going on in those pits and what it took to get there and what they're doing to i mean drag racing is 95 percent of the pits and five percent on the track you know um so it was just a reminder of that is the allure of drag racing Especially it really is fans. And I and I, I would encourage people, like if anybody's out there watching uh, and you haven't been out to the racetrack in a few months or a few years because your car's on on jack stands, your car's on pro jacks, like go to the track, buy a ticket, hang out with somebody, lend a hand, find a way to get involved. Because one of the examples that I use all the time is if two weeks ago I, I get home from a long drive and I want to watch the UFC pay-per-view, I buy the Conor McGregor fight. Right. And the, the camera pans, pans through the stands and who are all in the crowd? Other fighters. Right. And I, I think about that. These men and women that are UFC athletes, they're not afraid to admit that they're a fight fan. Hey, I fight. And, and if they pay me to get in there tonight, I'll do it. But 
I, I want to support our sport and I'm a fan of this sport. And I think drag racers by and large, I wish we could encourage that mindset a little bit more. I tell the story about my dad many, many moons ago. I ended up with a box of tickets to an ADRL race in St. Louis. Uh, part of the marketing strategy for the ADRL, especially in its kind of heyday was giving away free tickets. I roll into my dad's repair shop. Look, I got a box of tickets. We can bring like everybody we know to the ADRL race. They're going to have pro extreme cars and pro nitrous cars. It's going to be lit. And I remember my dad like didn't hardly raised his head. I said, "Dad, hey, I got like six hundred tickets. We should we should go to the race." And he's like, well, "Do they do they got like a stick ship, like a no box deal, or like a class where we can run your uncle's car?" And I'm like, "Well, no, it's a freaking like pro drag race. What? I ain't going if we can't race." And I just thought to myself, like, what a perfect example of what's one of the issues that our sport faces is that it's okay to go to the racetrack and cheer somebody on. It's okay to go hang out and take in the sights and sounds of what I believe to be the great American motorsport. And uh, I encourage people to take a cue from Tony Stewart and go be part of the action. You don't necessarily have to drive uh, to, to get a thrill. Uh, go meet somebody, go lend a hand, go have a conversation with somebody, learn about them, get invested, and uh, live vicariously through them, right? Go enjoy well, like the races saying, through their yeah, success. Like, like you were saying about the UFC deal, too, when I watch those or, or uh, big boxing matches, a lot of celebrities and a lot of athletes from other sports, they're there to watch, too. They're not, you know, you'll see, like, uh, a basketball player. He's not only going to an NBA game. He appreciates these other forms of sport. And that's another thing that we struggle with in drag racing, too, is, you know, it's like you, being a drag racing fan or participant, you're barely allowed to like another form of motorsport, and you're definitely not allowed to <laughs> like any other forms of sports. But there's so much more out there, and they're doing things better or worse than we're doing in drag racing that we can bring to the sport or we can learn from or we even build up our confidence that we're doing better than they are. You know, as far as uh, the various aspects of the business or the promotion or whatever. So it's, you know, open your horizons and, and look at these other things. And I think that drag racing could benefit from that as a whole. It, it could it could help improve the sport. Something that you see this weekend at, you know, a, a football game or whatever, you may end up bringing to drag racing. Uh, I so mean, I, uh, I got to give uh, a little bit of credit to our, our buddy that was in the comments, longtime director of photography at Drag Illustrated, Bubba Smooth himself. Jason Sharp was uh, tuning in from uh, the Middle East here. And I remember you and I and Jason flying to San Diego for the Red yeah, Bull perfect. Air Race. Yeah, that's a great and this is this is way early on. I mean, honestly, we couldn't afford it. Drag Illustrated was in certainly no uh, position to be flying the three of us across the country to go hang out at a freaking other event, especially one that didn't have any in drag racing going on. But we looked at that opportunity to go to the Red Bull Air Race in San Diego as a, as a chance to learn something. We're here with notepads and paper here. What can we steal? What ideas can we borrow? What uh, processes can we can we put to work in our own sport or in our own lives and still today a lot of the branding and activation sponsorship activation that i saw that i witnessed at that event that's been over 10 years ago that's been like almost 15 years 2008 ago, right? yeah okay. 13 years yeah. ago we, 13 man, we years learned, ago we learned so much we didn't realize it then and i thought what in the hell are we doing i mean you were like dude let's go to this Red Bull Air Race in San Diego. And I mean, it sounded awesome. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, what the hell? And everybody's like, why are you doing this? Oh, it's, it's uh, for the magazine. 
And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah right. I just knew but I could tell that how, they were doing it right. And we were going to borrow. Right. I mean, and I look at and the stuff it, we do now and it's so much yeah. of it is rooted in what we learned in at that event. And the Professional Bull Riders Association, one year I found myself going to like 10 PBR events and it massively impacted me. The way they the way they activate throw parties, the way they treat VIPs, the way they treat their athletes, the way they focus on the bulls and name them. And I mean, there's so many things to learn from it and apply to drag racing. So I, I think you're right, Mike. Uh, there's nothing wrong with looking around. Yeah, look around. And we're, we're doing so much more now, too, than a magazine. We've got events. We've got a party. Um, we've right. got all kinds of stuff that we're doing outside of the magazine that to me is where that experience comes in and where that looking around really comes into play. Um, obviously we're, we're on a pretty, uh, uh, dedicated path with the magazine, but these other things that we found ourselves doing, we've really learned a lot from, from looking around and kind of being unafraid to, uh, pick and choose what other sports or, or other entertainment venues may be doing that we can bring to drag racing. I sure think so, man. Well, dude, this has been a ton of fun. I had a whole list of uh, – I I can't believe how generous with their time Tony and Leah were. That was a really incredible thing that I, I don't think any of us will soon forget. But I, I did have a list of topics. Um, talk a little bit about the PDRA race, uh, Jim Halsey's incredible – uh, run here. I, I just want to. I want to use this opportunity while we have a large audience in a in a an episode of the show that's likely going to get a lot of play. Uh, we're a few days removed from the PDRA summer shootout that took place out at Virginia Motorsports Park. Our own Nate Van Wagen was on the scene, uh, kind of reporting for us and uh, capturing all the sights and sounds of that event. Uh, a couple of major storylines coming out of that event, but I don't think any more so than the dominance of Jim Halsey. I'm curious, Mike, uh, we've talked a little bit about this murder uh, tundra as well. What do you make of that dominance? What What do you we've seen it before. There have been dynasties and there have been teams. I, I think of Jason Harris and Pro Nitrous a few years ago, won I think all but one race. I mean, obviously, John Force, he won every championship in NHRA Funny Car for almost a decade. I think nine out of 10 years he won the championship. So this isn't something that's totally unusual. Uh but you, it is special when you when you see it unfold and you and you're watching it happen. Mike, what what's your take on what Jim Halsey and company are doing right now in pro nitrous racing? I really just think it comes down to experience and continuity. Um, primarily, the experience with those guys they've they've done it all really. And and when they're out there racing, Jim has you know come and gone from the scene uh, a few times based on business demands or, or whatever. Uh, but when he's out there, he's at the top. He's a force to be reckoned with from the early days, super Chevy from the early nineties to, um, IHRA. I remember, uh, obviously long time IHRA competitor in HRA pro mod. I think I could be wrong, but he had success very early on with an HRA pro mod exhibition deal. Uh, he may have won one of those first races. Um, then the ADRL, he was, he was a force to be reckoned with there. We tangled with him many times in the ADRL. Uh, then now to the PDRA. So he has experience in all of these high levels of this stuff and just knows how to win, knows how to race. I think that's another thing that we've gotten away from uh, is the focus on performance and almost just knowing, like, this thing's either going to blow the tires off or it's going to set a record. And going up and racing in that mindset, you know, instead of, adapting and 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 sort of 
no picking and choosing your spots. I think they're so good with that. Uh, and then of course with Brandon, he's got, I think he has more experience and has been doing this longer than most people realize because he was kind of behind the scenes um, at Wilson Manifolds and, and even with Speed Tech and sort of learning from some of the greats like the Iceman. So just a, a winning team. And then with Kathy and with Eric, uh, they, they've, they've just worked together for so long that that's a, just a tough combination to beat. Um, and we've seen that from guys like Tommy Franklin or, or like you said, Jason Harris, when uh, I think the first year of Pro Nitrous or the PDR. We had him on the cover, and I remember he won pretty much every race. And it is. And that's kind of the same thing. He's an experienced racer in high stakes racing, big dog racing. Um, So you just, there's, and I don't mean this to disparage anybody out there, this racing Pro Nitrous or any of these classes. You just have a different mentality. You just have people that, know how to win. I think you see that in other sports too, like Tom Brady, right? He's a great example. Murder Tundra is going to hate this one, but you got guys that, you know, light up the scoreboard and light up the stat sheet, but then you got guys that just seem to be unbeatable when the chips are down and it's time to win. Um, so I it's think amazing. he falls into that category. It's amazing that he's, that he's, you know, like you said, he's been in and out, in and out. You know, a lot of times guys like that, you know, the, the sport will um, surpass them basically, you know, because the, yeah, the class is so much faster, you know, yeah, and, and you been involved the whole time and, or you haven't thrown money at it the whole time and stayed with it, you know, to be able to come in and out like that and still be competitive is, is, is pretty impressive. I That was what I was worried about with John Force. Yeah. To be yeah. honest, when John Force Racing stepped away from the sport last year, and and I don't say that as a negative thing, right? It was a negative thing. It is a negative thing. We've got to be honest about it. But I certainly felt it was a justifiable decision. It, it made all the sense in the world to 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 save, preserve resources or whatever and live to race another day. But my biggest concern, and I believe we discussed it right here uh, via Drag Illustrated, is that, like, man, is everybody, like, if you're not testing and everybody else is testing and everybody else is developing, blow, do, do whatever, how far behind are you going to be when you do take a notion to come back on the scene and race? And incredibly, Jim Halsey stepped away a handful of times and a lot happened between those times. I mean, you think back mm-hmm. to, you know, the early days of, of, of nitrous pro mod racing, Pat Musi wasn't. I mean, he wasn't part of that scene at that point in time, right? Um, then you think about some of the heydays of nitrous pro mod racing, and it was Rear Morrison versus Gene Fulton, right? And you had Sonny, and there, there was a handful of guys kind of in the thick of things. At this stage in the game, I mean, he came back with Gene Fulton, Fulton Competition, who had, had I would say, faded a little bit out of the scene. And here Jim Halsey comes as if he never, never left, never missed a beat. Well, I actually and think, though. Really impressive. Yeah, that... I think that is true. That's that's where he is now. But I, I do believe he came back out with the red car to start with and sort of worked his way back in. I actually remember one of the first PDRA races he came to, or maybe it was maybe been an ADRL race, and it was, uh, you know, he came back out, I think, with the car that he had. And they went through a big shop fire, too, and lost all their stuff, kind of had to rebuild there. There's no telling what they lost in that. And so he did – sort of fly under the radar for a little bit. And then once they got it together, they were just, you know, on a, on a massive upward trajectory. So uh, very cool to see one of the guys that you don't realize how long he's been out there doing it. We were just talking about, we, we were talking about this the other day, Wes, he's been out there from nearly the beginning, but a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, so 
Um, I, I think that experience is, is really showing now. He's a, an absolute stud, a great ambassador for our sport. And to your point, Brandon Schweitzer, I don't know what, what more can you say about him, the, the impact he's had on uh, drag racing and, and specifically nitrous racing. It's, it's thank God for it in a lot of ways, right? Because those of us that are hardcores, we were talking about this early on, like I, we, it's so important to see those nitrous cars out there still. And he has prolonged that battle. He has prolonged their existence in the sport of drag race. He's done a great job. I'm curious also, one of the other storylines out of uh, Virginia was Mountain Motor Pro Stock, PDRA's Extreme Pro Stock Division. Uh, they had the Sunny Memorial Shootout. Really, really, really heartwarming deal. You're out there on the East Coast. Mike and probably can speak uh, as well as anyone to the significance of Sonny Leonard and his impact on the sport, his big personality, uh, his the open arms he seemingly had at all times to help people uh, in his contribution to the sport. It was really cool to see the PDRA and all those pro stock racers celebrate him uh, like they did. But one of the questions that I had headed into today was, are we seeing Mountain Motor Pro Stock like turn a corner here? It, it seems like we broke news yesterday. Nate posted a story on dragillustrated.com that Tony Gillig, longtime pro outlaw 632 racer, was going to soon make his Mountain Motor Pro Stock debut, return to the category that he has competed in before. Robert Patrick turned up this past weekend in Virginia with Chris Bell, uh, championship level uh, crew chief turning the screws. My dad actually brought out a car here you know, last year and kind of dived into the mountain motor scene with Justin Kirk behind the wheel. I think Camry Caruso has made it quite clear her intentions of eventually being in mountain motor pro stock. Uh, is this class enjoying some sort something of a reignition, uh, a return to form? What's your, what's your take on this? Uh, I honestly, Mountain Motor Pro Stock reminds me a lot of ProMod, or really specifically Nitrous ProMod in a lot of ways. Like we were talking about earlier about bouncing around power adders or guys that really stay on one path and are passionate about a very specific form of racing. I think that's Mountain Motor guys. They're so passionate about Mountain Motor Pro Stock racing. Um, John Moncalvo, you got guys, these guys are forming associations or unions or trying to get races together. Um, you know, your dad, you got guys that are just passionate about that form of racing. Um, and I think it's had its, it's down moments and it's on the way up due to their persistence. It's just persistence more than anything. And sort of it's, it's splintered in recent years from all the different series or all the different venues to race. And there just weren't that many of those cars to go around to begin with. And I think that now they've maybe gotten past that part and are now headed back toward um, all kind of galvanizing together under the PDRA deal. So uh, I do think it's on the upswing. And I think the Sunny deal was amazing to see. Uh, Sunny, obviously, it was a legend. I think he's a guy that maybe was a little bit underappreciated, especially towards the end for what he had done, especially in the early years for originating big cubic inch, naturally aspirated power. Uh, my dad's first big engine, which I think was like a 500 something cubic inch engine was a Sonny's huge. Motor. And yeah. that was like the only guy you could get a huge 500 cube, you know, 585 or whatever cubic inch motor from was a Sonny Leonard, a mountain motor. And I think that came from because he is from the mountains of Virginia as well. So that whole deal really started 
with him. So to see them pay tribute to him and uh, um, just a great guy, you know, like you said, never met a stranger uh, and just a, a super warm heart uh, off the track. Um, that that was uh, a real fitting tribute. So maybe those guys they, can they get some closure on that. Yeah, for Murder sure. Tundra, I'm curious, uh, people maybe don't realize this, but you you handle a lot of like the outreach and the interaction with uh, with Drag Illustrated's 30 under 30 alumni, right? You mm -hmm. were you know, with a, I mean, part of it is that you're hanging out drinking beer with them till God knows how late. But you, you have great relations with so many young racers in our sport and you do maintain relations with many of the uh our alumni from the Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30, which we've done, I think, five or six years, right? So that's 125, yeah. 150 kids, whatever, that uh, that care about the sport of drag racing. What's it tell you, like Camry Caruso, for instance, that young lady's driven a fuel. She's behind the world uh, door, or excuse me, behind the wheel of a Pro Outlaw 632 car right now, a door slammer. I mean, does it surprise you at all that someone that's clearly on the come up, on the come up aspires to be a full-time racer like, is that a good sign that one of these young folks are eyeing Mountain Motor Pro Stock? Because, I mean, she could do, I'm sure she could figure out a way to do whatever she wants. But what's it say that someone young like that with a promising future wants to race a Mountain Motor Pro Stock car? I think it's great, you know, and and uh, and they're definitely on the move up right now. And Camry, like you said, for her to and, and she has she has a lot of backing with with her with her dad helping her out and. uh and, and probably just being her biggest supporter, correct? Yeah. And he said last night, I think, in an interview that that uh, she's actually been doing everything right, and and they're the ones that have been letting her down, you know. And but they'll get it all figured out, and she'll get up there. But that's that is cool. That's where she's wanting to go, you know. And then and then I'm sure that eventually, then she'll want to take the next step to you know a pro stock, and then maybe who knows? Maybe maybe you'll see her in a pro mod or or top fueler someday. But that's where it all starts. That's what we talked about with with working your way up through the ranks, correct? A hundred percent. And I just, for me, and this, we could really go down a, a, a wormhole here because it is interesting that for the Dallas Glens of the world, pro stock is the highest level, right? I right. mean, uh, I think uh, I get, I get Erica. Yeah, yeah, Erica for Erica. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I, mean, I don't mean to speak for her, but I don't know that Erica has any aspirations of racing top fuel, right? No. Pro stock is the that. final. I think yeah, I think she, she doesn't has. want to. Yeah, so that's yeah. it's cool to see a class like Mountain Motor Pro Stock or Pro Stock or Pro Mod be the final frontier for somebody for someone well, has anyone set when, their when you, sights on yeah, that. We were talking about Camry. I'm trying to think. I can't think of any female Mountain Motor Pro Stock racers off the top of my head. I can't think of past any. past or present. And, and I mean, to, to have a desire to do it, maybe not. Yeah, I, not that I'm aware of, and I I just think that that says something because there have been times in the past where like stevie jackson there have been times in the past where i've kind of pressed stevie fast you know hey what happens if a, if a funny car deal kind of becomes available right are you out the door uh what happens if a top fuel deal co comes available are you out the door and he, he would play along with me a little bit but i think that stevie if that opportunity presented itself for him to jump in a dsr top fuel car or whatever with phil Schuler calling the shots his longtime buddy and legendary crew chief uh, Phil Schuler, I, th I think he would go, but I, I love seeing, and I don't, I don't necessarily fault him for it, but as a door slammer yeah, guy myself, I think we, we saw that with Alex too. Yes. I mean, Alex absolutely. loves door slammers as much as anybody, obviously, yeah. but when the opportunity presented itself for him to do like a bucket list type of thing that could turn into something bigger, could turn into something that his sponsors are interested in, he jumped at it. So yeah, I don't think there's any, there's no wrong 
choice there. Yeah, there's no wrong choice. But one thing I wanted to say about these thirty under thirty, well, something happened to West there, but some some I want did want to say about. Yeah, I know. That's right. These thirty under thirty. They are absolutely dedicated. I mean, these kids. You know, you think back. You know, I partied a lot when I was younger, but these really, kids, yeah, I know, right? You, you know, you couldn't believe that, but <laughs> wow, but, but they're giving up the weekends, you know, their their nights after work or whatever, working on their cars and and all weekend, and dedication just pours out of them when you, when you talk to them and and the pride they have, you know, in the, whatever they're racing at the time. I I think it's fantastic. I say that every year at our press conference at PRI. Great opportunity to plug that. We will be unveiling our 30 under 30, the Drag Illustrated 30 under 30 list for 2021 at the uh, fast approaching. Somehow it's already like the end of July. Uh, We're in the we're in the planning stages for our party, the annual Drag Illustrated after hours, uh, which is going to be lit um, as well as the 30 under 30 deal. But every year I end up telling everyone how much I appreciate the fact that like these parents, like it is rough, right? It's a, you, you're missing parties. You're missing the kegger, right? Cause you got to go well, work on the car. But, you got to leave early. So when I see young but, people, yeah, but, but the social circle like is, that, at the, awesome. is at the race. Is that, it the is track. their social circles at the track. The kegger is at the track. Yeah. Uh, you know, drinking beer with your buddies at the back door of your trailer. After you put the car away for the night or you set up the awning. I mean, that's the party. That's their party. It is. Uh, that that may be as fun as anything. So, you know, or like Judy, Tommy and Judy Franklin putting together like an ice cream social, like to those mm-hmm. young kids for their junior dragster racers, like they're going to go see all their buddies like that. They're probably as excited about that as they are getting to race their junior. So it's a, yeah, man, it's a wild time here in the sport of drag racing. I think a fantastic time for the sport of drag racing and a, and a really great couple of days for uh, drag illustrated for drag racing. I think this is a fantastic thing that we need to be proud of. Uh, to your go point earlier the in the story. show, go read the, yeah, go, go read, read the, the story. Log Digital on to dragillustrated.com. JT, can you throw subscribe. a link in the comments? I already have. Yep, okay. Already have. Yep. Um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this, you guys. Uh, Brian McCaddy, I wanted to get into a little bit of Q&A here, but it, he asked a question via YouTube, which I always want to encourage our YouTube viewership here. So is Tony Gillig leaving 632 for Extreme Pro Stock saying there is a larger issue in the 632 class? Could there be more NA 632 cars ready to leave for pro stock. It's actually a really good question, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know that that's the specific reason. I think this is more opportunistic for Tony Gillig than anything else. I don't think this is a mass exodus or the beginning of a mass exodus or some sort of revolt from Pro Outlaw 632. But I will say, based on the the investment that I've and the background that I know about a lot of these mountain motor pro stock racers, I do find myself surprised sometimes that that class... I think what's happening now is very natural because you can go run mountain motor pro stock and be competitive, uh, without an engine program, without, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not something that takes a hundred million dollars to go do. And I look at the investment some people are making in pro outlaw 632 top sportsman, the PDRA's, uh, elite top sportsman category. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but every one of those cars, well, maybe not every one of them, but a good bit of them could be in pro nitrous. Right. And probably, yeah, I think an argument could be made that they need to be in pro nitrous. But to that end, if you could go heads up race and race pro stock uh, for this for the same or less money, ah, man, it's uh, 
it would be cool to see more folks do that. And I think we will, but we'll, we'll wrap this deal up. Thank you guys all so much for joining us. This was a, a, a great episode of the show. Mike murder tundra. Thank you guys very, very, very much. Yeah. Everybody please click, click like, click share, help us spread the message. It's so important to put uh, drag racing in front of as many people as we can uh, until next time. Say your prayers, stayed shallow, and we'll see you Wednesday at 2 p.m. Thank you. See you guys. See you.